son, where'd you mint this? recognition we have luke from uh both context and mint.fun one of the best translators in the space in my opinion who is capable of sort of articulating extremely heady and complicated concepts and breaking them down so that folks like me can understand them and this episode we recorded on march 1st particularly because at that time um OpenSea and Blur were kind of in this fighting match. Uh, I think we all recognized the reality of the situation was very far from the kind of discourse that these two entities were putting forward about what was happening, which is not to say that like they were malicious or 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 being evil, but just that like actual mechanics of what was going on um, in this kind of race for a market share were really tough. Um, I think for both of us to like get our heads around. This is a good listen. If you're someone who like, I mean, me as the interviewer here, I went into it somewhat intimidated only because I'm not at all an expert on subject matter of the technical side of, of NFTs. This one probably stayed more on, on a particular, not the entire time, but you know, a lot of this really revolves around, you know, the way that the market within NFTs, especially open editions, can function. What is and is not possible. Um, why NFTs, you know, were a good proposition for artists in the first place, uh, and how they can continue to be that in the face of sort of dimish- diminishing promises that were made, whether they're disingenuous, you know, or not, or who's responsible, if anybody at all, for having set expectations for artists that they would just be able to reap the rewards of their work forever if it's resold. So. Um, yeah, super interesting one from both a technical, but also I think a sort of business side of art and the business side of creativity, which I think is always a bit of a scary topic for artists and and designers and creators of all kinds, because it's just, it's intimidating. So yeah, really appreciated his candor in this one. And uh, just was a lot of fun, I think, to just listen. It was definitely like a good education, you know, for me as the interviewer to just tee up questions and kind of sit back and, and absorb. Uh, but um, yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, I think you mentioned as well, this one was recorded on, on March 1st, 2023. So we're like, felt like right in the on the heels of, of kind of the debate of, of everything going on with Blur and OpenSea, like you mentioned. Um, but it seems like here we are almost, you know, a month and a half after uh, we recorded this interview. And uh, it seems as relevant, I mean, obviously, context changes as it does virtually every day within NFTs. But uh, that's going to, I think the royalty discussion is sort of one that's still floating out there. And a lot of people are still trying to wrap their heads around. All right. Um, all right. Well, we'll uh, go ahead and just get started right now and get into it. So, all right. What's up? Um, we're joined today by Worm Emoji, aka Luke, um, not the other way around. Uh, Luke, actually, Worm Emoji. I have the same problem because with no pattern, I've been using that for almost 20 years now. And uh, sometimes I'll introduce myself to people who I meet in person who know me from the internet, but I'll say Chuck and they won't know. And I'll be like, no pattern. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of like, 
a gift and a curse, I guess, to to have that. Um, but yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm well. Um, yeah, calling from San Francisco. I imagine you're Chicago. I am Chicago. Yes. Yeah. Was about to ask where you're coming from. Um, but yeah, we appreciate you, you uh, hopping on and, and chatting with us. I know, um, you know, you've got your hands in so many different projects um, and just wanted to, um, you know, learn a little bit about what you've been up to. And actually, one of the first questions I wanted to ask you, like right out of the gate, although now I like when I find out people are as young, you know, as they are, like when someone's like, tell me they're 24, 25. I'm like, Oh wait, like there's like not maybe a whole, not as many years worth of stuff leading up to where they're at right now. Cause I wanted, I was like, all right, what were you doing before like web three stuff? Um, you know, like what was kind of like, what brought you to, um, like working in this, in this world? Like, I guess, let's say three years ago, were you in like a completely different headspace, like doing something related? Like what was the, what was like the inflection point and the on-ramp for you into, into getting into like web three and, and everything? Yeah. Um, so believe it or not, um, context is the second company I've co-founded. Um, so, uh, before I was working in web three, um, I was working at bytes, uh, the social app. Uh, I was not a co-founder there. That was a bad segue. Um, but I was working at byte, which is the social app, uh, led by Dom Hoffman. Uh, it was sort of a vine competitor. Um, which is also kind of funny, like, you know, we were working on Web2 social, um, and then Dom becomes this uh, Web3 uh, force. Uh, it's also where I met my co-founder, um, Adam Ludwin. Um, and so, yeah, we were work- I was working at Byte for about a year. The company ended up getting uh, sold to Discord, um, ended up not joining that. Before Byte, I worked at Stripe, uh, the payments processing company. Uh, before Stripe, I ran a... Uh, a software company for five years that was like a uh, an app to buy sneakers online. Um, like we we told you about sneaker drops and things like that. Uh, oh, okay. That's my brief resume. Um, but yeah, so so uh, can can take that in any direction. But um, the thing that I, I I was always interested in like cryptocurrency. Um, when I was a teenager, I like made a Mt. Gox account and bought Bitcoin online. Um, and like I kind of didn't pay attention to it for a few years. Uh, the first like DeFi summer wave, I wasn't very interested in. But then, you know, at the end of 2020 and beginning of 2021, um, once I saw all these artists that I really admired and respected starting to look into Web3, I think that was the thing for me that made me look myself. Um, I really, I, I really am motivated by you know, people doing creative things online or, you know, creative people online, helping pe- creative people get paid. That was one reason why I was d- drawn to Byte before mm-hmm. uh, spreading context. Um, another reason why, like, I, I even when I was working on the, the shopping app, um, I was really interested, like, why do people care enough about, like, culture to w- wait in line for, for, for shoes? And so I, I, I don't really think, like, the model that we should be replicating is necessarily, like, nike or like you know this this consumerist culture but in terms of just like it's all about one brand like it's very centralized but uh mm-hmm. i also just really uh think that yeah I, I don't have a neat end to this but i'm just saying artists were getting into web3 and that was the thing that like got me back into crypto again yeah cool i think for context too like i mean you've made a couple of comments and we didn't say we were talking before we started 
um, recording this, but I think like age is important here. Um, like you went down a pretty decent list of stuff you've done already, but you're 25. Um, and cause you said you like really you know, were introduced to crypto when you were like a teenager. So it's so wild to me as someone who's 37, like, I just feel like, uh, I don't know what I would have done if I had been introduced to some of these concepts, um, when I was that age or when I was younger, but I think I would have been a little more, um, I, I probably would have been like less risk averse about it than I, like when I was first introduced to it, it was like mid 2020. And I really took my time to try and learn and understand about like what crypto was at all before I dabbled in NFTs because I felt like it was somewhat under somewhat important for me to understand the sort of underpinnings of um like a fully separate economy and a completely different currency altogether. Um that was kind of the groundwork for how I might transition um to selling my work in a way that I hadn't in the past, you know, like 16 years before that. Um so yeah, it's pretty, it's just really interesting. Like, I think that's been one of the, you know, not everyone that I've interviewed um, either for this or the past uh, Pirate Radio show that we did is um, necessarily like, you know, there's all different degrees of people into NFTs and crypto, but everyone has some sort of first introduction to it or way that they kind of like came on. So hearing that you were like early enough to make a Mt. Gox account and like you were, I don't know, what were you like 16 or something like that is pretty insane. I mean, I don't know how old you were exactly, but I think it was like 13, 14. Yeah. That's so wild. I, again, like aging myself, but I had a summer when I was between eighth grade and freshman year. So that would have been like 1999, 2000, where I got really into um, AOL, like punters and and like these like whereas games, like there's basically like little applications made in Visual Basic that you could use to like kick people out of chat rooms and stuff. And that was about like the most I ever dabbled in like uh, anything that felt like real sketch uh, on the internet. Uh, and then I think after that, I got hacked pretty bad at one point on the family computer. My CD-ROM drive was like opening and closing on its own at like two o'clock in the morning. And I was like, all right, I'm out. This is not for me <laughs> anymore. But um, okay, yeah, I, did I, I, I was 15. Sorry. Didn't okay. Flex. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. 15. I was uh, when I was 15, I uh, made a DeviantArt account and that was my first foray into uh an online community of artists. And it's kind of funny because we know that community now to be just like a, Kind of like a big dump of like anime sketches and whatnot but like in the real early days when it first started it was pretty ahead of its time um and it was like kind of the only place to like upload artwork and like meet people and and so um you know i i understand what you're what you're saying though were you ever an artist or designer yourself or was it always more of like a technical um sort of interest for you oh yeah when i was um when i was in high school um i was very much interested in photography mm-hmm. um kind of seemed like I was either going to become a software engineer or photographer is kind of how I felt. But uh, like I, I was like working on software projects and stuff throughout high school. And I used basically all the money I could make to like buy like cameras and film and equipment. I I used to shoot a lot of like, like local like concerts and things like that uh, when Mm -hmm. I was growing up. And like, yeah, I was really into photography and like, yeah, things like that. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, uh, when you first started getting into all this stuff, was there any artists who are designers that you were really gravitating to? Cause I was kind of, ta- I was, you know, listening to you talk about your sort of foray into this a few minutes ago and you mentioned artists getting paid. And I think that's interesting that like, that would be something like, that's not something anybody, not everybody necessarily thinks about or cares about. And I think someone who does take an interest in that, 
um i guess i'm curious to ask why like what like why was that important to you um you know or did you see uh was this through learning about sort of the ways that nfts were starting to blossom and work that you're like okay there's something here um yeah i guess i'm I'm really curious to know about that because that's like as an artist someone who cares about that and thinks about that is obviously like a very interesting um you know sort of concept to me like if you yourself are not one so i'd love to hear a little bit about like why that was important yeah uh i have like the general mentality that like you know a lot of like ways that money is made on the internet like kind of sucks and is bad for almost everyone involved like i'm like an aggressive like ad blocker and like i download a lot of music illegally but like i also spend a lot of money on Bandcamp and things like that like i love mm-hmm. supporting artists directly when i can figure out how to do that yeah you know that never really felt like a way even if you're like i i have like you know i've been using patreon and Bandcamp to like support artists and people i like for for many years now but that never really felt sustainable even getting giving artists like five dollars a month or something like that and when i saw you know what artists were able to do with web3 and nfts it kind of felt really interesting to me because it felt like a third way of monetizing content online instead of a paywall or ads um, right. like you have like this public patronage model um in terms of artists that got it like that got me uh, attracted to it well um i think it was the seeing the the zora homepage back in like the beginning of 2021 yeah uh, seeing all these artists like it kind of felt like on chain tumblr and gas was so high at the time everyone's paying like a hundred dollars to post but yeah so, some people were making some serious like money off of it and i you know seeing like um i think it was around valentine's day of 21 uh seeing like rudnick's uh stem piece was kind of that was like an artist who i who i'd been following for many years and you know i, I got lucky to become friends with him well after the fact but an artist i was uh, following for many years that i really respected and also kind of appreciated their you know takes on the world via his twitter account and mm-hmm. like a very viable and interesting art, art piece and then other artists uh such as like uh holly herndon and matt dryhurst also like artists who i've been following for years up to that point seeing them use the medium in a creative way there, there certainly are a lot more artists i mean even people like uh mikey joyce um and other people like you know people who i kind of knew uh, tangentially at the time i don't uh just all sorts of like the, the the sort of crowd like interesting weird people building like you know trying to build like a new identity and like language in the space uh really like was captivating to me and i'm certainly forgetting like a ton of other people who i was looking at at the time yeah i think the early zora i think uh was so fascinating to me i mean my my first nft was on zora and it was i think the three it was like 300 there's like the 333rd token i think on there and i was remember just being baffled because a lot of the stuff was just so random like what was on there i remember seeing like bobby hundreds minted like a like a a, a bomb emoji and i think it was because that'd be like okay this is the first time like that emoji is on chain or something (laughs) but it was still so foreign to me as a concept i I just didn't understand it i didn't understand why anybody would be paying money for it it was I, i was trying to still just grasp like the very concept of like why would someone like they can just have this file like if they want to look at it like here you go you know and there was a lot of um 
it took me a lot. It took me a while, you know, again, as an, as an artist to understand why there would be value in this. Um, and I think eventually it started to dawn on me that like, why is there, you know, value? And I, I guess everybody has their own thoughts on this, but it seems pretty uh, a, a real parallel to me that makes sense is like, why, why is a painting valuable? I mean, it's, yes, it's physical, but at the end of the day, it's still just like canvas with some oil paints on it. I mean, like, wh- like we've assigned value to that. Um, we believe that it has some sort of spiritual cosmic beauty and power in it, especially if they're older paintings and um, you know, they sort of like have like a life of their own. Uh, we developed that idea. That's not like an inherent like human concept that like is just part of like nature. Like we've sort of assigned value and assigned power to those things. And, and we live so much of our life, you know, digitally, I guess eventually it started to make sense why there might be a similar power although i could understand if someone would think this is like sounds cold or or sort of like a desolate dystopian concept but it's true i mean it's like the way that our world is moving and like as a dad i think about this a lot like my kids are going to grow up like very online like you know i didn't get introduced to the internet till i was 12 you know 13 like it intersected that point in my life but my kids are growing up seeing me like on a phone and like using a computer and they're gonna it's gonna be baked into their life so um eventually it started to make sense. Like, did it click with you right away? Like why, you know, I think I really had to grapple with that. I just did not get it um, until I did. Um, but did it like, was there like a pretty, like maybe the age difference in us too. I wonder if like, was, did it click quicker with you at all? Like why someone might pay uh, for a digital asset? Um, like, was there a, a gaming adjacency to you or like any sort of parallels that like, Oh, this makes a ton of sense. Um. Yeah, there was a little bit of the gaming thing. Um, When I was a teenager, I also played the game Team Fortress 2 a lot, which is very innovative for kind of creating a hat economy, like literally a hat, like (laughs) hats you could wear. But I think actually, um, no, it took me a couple of months, like while thinking about it uh, to actually fully get it. And there, there isn't the super like clear articulation I can make here other than just it took looking at the art, thinking about like why these assets like are scarce or why they, they, they're valuable and like why like people would want to pay for it. It kind of took like a lot of just like the way I learn something is usually by going obsessively deep on it, even things yeah. that I'm not a fan of. And I think that's kind of what it took for me. Like I started looking at the technology, like how it works, like becoming deep on that. And I think eventually it made sense to me. And then you know, I learned other things like along the way, like, you know, oh, how do royalties work? Or like, how do, um, like, where are, where is the media stored? You know, questions like that became really interesting for me to uncover the answer to. But I think somewhere along the way, it just clicked. And I I know that's not the most uh, amazing answer, but it took, it took me a couple of months of thinking about it. And Mm -hmm. when uh, my my co-founder, Adam, he kind of calls me on the phone and just asking me, Hey, maybe you should look at these NFTs. Uh, like just look at NFTs. When he, when he told me about it, I, I was like, yeah, like I, I've started to look at them. I, I kind of feel like maybe they're all like, maybe this is all like securities fraud or something. Like, <laughs> I don't really understand like what's going on here. Um, but that's kind of, once I kind of also realized like what an NFT is I'm like, Oh yeah, this isn't really like that either. It's not, it's just, it's a new thing. So yeah. 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 I think, uh, a big part of it for me was similar to you, like guys like David, um, you know, or even, even when 
Rehan invited me to Friends with Benefits the first time. I didn't know I was joining a DAO when I like like I I I just didn't I didn't really understand like what it all was. I just kind of like fumbled into all these things and just went with it. Um, and then when I got in there and I saw you know like a handful of artists and designers who I really admired and and knew and and you know had a lot of respect for participating in it, like that was a big signal to me to take it seriously at least and to kind of keep plowing ahead with educating myself and trying my best to understand it um and i think you know that's a that's a powerful effect when you see somebody who you trust sort of like you know doing something and you take your time to discern whether or not it's for you and then um but yeah that was that was like a a similar thing you know i remember just sort of seeing a lot of people who i felt were you know contemporaries or you know younger older whatever the case may be um, starting to dabble and that's that was really like the uh, same kind of thing like you just kind of go deep and then you kind of get obsessed like you said you go you know head over heels on, on a topic because you kind of can't stop sort of like trying to learn about it and understand it and next thing you know it sort of takes over your <laughs> takes over yeah. your life um have you fully like i mean i guess the, i think the answer is yes but you're not working on any, any uh of those like prior projects like more web 2 or like any of those past um brands you were working with that like you're pretty like fully immersed now and uh with context and and like the projects you do now is like the full-time thing right yeah yeah um i don't really have a lot of time to focus on like yeah the web 2 or the things that i was doing before i i just want to go back for a moment and say yeah fwb was a huge part of me uh kind of appreciating nfts um i had known trevor uh before web 3 because there's a period of time where uh i it was like I, I I reached out to Trevor because I wanted to maybe work at Bread because I saw a little mm-hmm. and I thought that that was the future of everything. Um, and uh, so I had been following Trevor and he kept posting about FWB. And when I was kind of on this like uh, road where I was not really sure if NFTs or Web three were valuable, I just I just thought, okay, I'll just join the Trevor thing and see what's up with that. <laughs> Trevor's like really cool and smart. And then I remember, you know, I, I got into FWB and. I think you're right though. When FWB, like when it was like end of 2020, 2021, yeah. like it wasn't really marketed as a DAO. Like no, not at all. I, it was I, only, I, I, yeah. yeah, this is a Discord server. And then yeah, dude. somewhere along the line in 2021, they rebranded it as a DAO or like kind of made that more front and center. And I, I remember thinking like, I remember like going into FWB and just kind of smiling. And the the description of uh, NFT general chat is has been unchanged since they made it, which is just like, NFT is historical redistribution of ownership or the newest tools of crypto de- degeneracy discussed. Yeah. That's very, very funny. And I, I hope they never change that. But yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it was, it was, it was, I, it's, it's funny. Like it was, I don't think they were like trying to disguise it that it was a DAO or not. It was just like, Hey, you should join this thing. I didn't even have discord at the time. Like I had to even download it for the first time. And, um, you know, I, yeah, it was just so, it was so foreign and unfamiliar to me until again, like I started seeing some familiar faces in there and, and uh and then it felt friendly and fun and, and and like still quite small at the time um and yeah it just it was like a i i kind of felt like you know again for me at least in like the early you know 2000s you know there was just all these design message boards that i was a part of or you know just like early chat rooms early internet kind of stuff and it was like a new version of that it was very much like this is more of like this is just like a rebirth of like early internet stuff that I was so familiar with, but like with completely new framework around it and like almost entirely different motivations, many of them financial now too. And in a way that like everybody can participate uh, in just like a sort of 
new way. So, um, yeah, it was uh, definitely like, I think it's it's really interesting to me to hear everybody sort of first, like, you know, dipping their toes into this stuff because everybody's got like a completely different <laughs> entry point, somebody who introduced it to them, somebody who like sort of put them on and they ignored it. And then they like found out about it more later and, and kind of like warmed up to the idea or whatever. But either way, I think it's all pretty fresh on everyone's mind. And, you know, if you were to ask me like how I got into design 20 years ago or whatever, like it's just a more, I have to think a little bit more like what was that first time? But this is all like for everybody pretty much within the last, you know, four or five years, uh, you know, unless you were dabbling slightly in crypto well before them, but the more recent iterations with NFTs, I think is pretty fresh in everyone's mind. So it's pretty fun to hear all the different like on-ramp stories for that. So I I do want to, oh yeah, yeah. Move on. I just checked in the Discord and we joined FWB within an hour of each other. Um, in the introductions channel, like I posted and then you posted. Or, like, oh, really? Because yeah. <laughs> I, I thought amazing. that was okay. uh, and like, yeah, I sent you a DM on Discord with a link to it, but yeah, just that's really funny. I yeah. wonder if, yeah, because I got a, yeah, I remember getting a DM from Rayhan and who, again, like he and I didn't really. Oh wow, you're right. Yeah, that's crazy. It was like twelve eighteen. It was uh February eighteenth, twenty twenty one, and uh, you were at eleven nineteen. Then I came out at twelve oh three, like twenty minutes. Yeah, like forty five minutes later. That's that's wild. <laughs> yeah, and there was so many people who like I look back now and it's like oh wow, like I I've gotten to know these people or like I didn't realize this person was there then and they were just like a, a sort of stranger and and now I've worked with them or I've gotten to know them really well or whatever. So that's that's crazy. Good, good, good uh, re- uh, on the fly research there. Actually, so that brings me to my uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you right away and something before we really started. But I was like, all right, you want me to introduce you as Luke or Worm Emoji? And you were saying you, you know, it's kind of come to be more, uh, you know, known as Worm Emoji, um, especially like in this context, in this world and everything. So where did that, uh, what's like the beginnings of that? Like, how did, how did that become? the identity is there any like deep story there or was it just some like what's what what's the story on that uh yeah i think at one point i was making an anon twitter account uh at, like more anon than i am now and i was just trying to think of a name and i was thinking like brain worms and then i i finally landed on worm emoji which i thought was cool because there wasn't a worm emoji and then they made a worm emoji like oh nice yeah I think uh, I've definitely realized that having a having an emoji to represent whatever project you're working on or whatever is like more and more important, almost like more important than I think people. It's almost like this uncovered thing people don't quite even realize the power of yet. Like if you can, like if there's an emoji that perfectly looks like or represents your project, not unlike tombs and like David being able to pull like the like the CD like the disc one and, and use that to represent it you know or like you know perfectly associate like you do with with one in particular um it's like this new hieroglyphic like representation that you can kind of like lean into pretty nicely uh and just like you know fully take on so i like that um especially since there was none yet so you just kind of came up with that and then like a month later it's like oh here's your worm emo- here's your worm emoji it's a good emoji too like it's a it's like actually like it's it's one of the better uh, animal ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Um, all right. So one of the things that I think more recently and really was something that uh, obviously right now we're recording this March second, and it was like pretty 
intense debate like you know heating up and and just sort of ongoing and i think you know the royalties conversation is is really sort of like yuri was like hey we should really i saw your tweet you're like someone have me on their podcast like someone someone like let me come on and talk about this stuff you know as an artist like i one of the very first things that drew me to doing this was the concept of this and and was the and it was one of the earliest things i remember like on clubhouse a lot of the artists that were on there were all like preaching to people who are listening or talking about it with one another about like the power in that um i remember one artist in particular talking about how you know this is this is such a new paradigm because you know when i die someday like my my daughter will be able to you know continue making money from my royalties in a in a seamless way and and how amazing that is and i just i think at least artists i would say like probably 99% of us who didn't know sort of the underpinning like the sort of you know foundational tech you know underpinning all this stuff assumed that that was just a hard and fast sort of part of this and that forever royalties would be whatever we set them to be when we minted our project and that would be that not that it was sort of this handshake agreement or anything else but that it was this is what a smart contract is like that was my understanding of it however ignorant i think that was my understanding of it it was if i mint something and i put 10 percent in there for the royalty and it sells five years later i will get 10 percent of that no matter what and i think most artists have been pretty taken aback to learn that that is not necessarily the case so it seems like this has been like a an issue that you've kind of taken up and been talking a lot about and obviously with like you know everything going on with blur in the last month and, and just like the sort of crumbling of what everyone sort of thought things would be like forever with this for artists and a lot of these pfp projects that probably depend on that um i guess like yeah i guess the sort of stage is yours but i'd love to hear sort of why i don't know do you think it was like a fair should i call it misconception that artists would have assumed that this was the way it was kind of supposed to be i mean absolutely uh i mean if you're a non-technical person and someone's help uses words like royalties and smart contracts and blockchain, I wouldn't blame anyone for drawing the conclusion. Like, you know, the, the, the cool thing about NFT is just, you know, on the base layer is like, okay, you have decentralized ownership of assets. And like, I think a lot of people can conceptualize that. And a lot of people can think, okay, cool. Now there's this royalty thing. So that's, that's part of it. Right. You know, like the, the princess Leia, I mean, like that's part of it. Right. 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 <laughs> and, um, I, yeah. So first of all, I think that I don't blame any artists or creative people for thinking royalties are part of it. Um, and I, I, I think that, um, first of all, just to like, kind of like state my feeling about it. Um, I think that, uh, like royalties, uh, creator earnings, whatever you want to call them are really important. Um, and so like, before I get into this, I, don't want to sound like a catalyst or like I don't care because I actually really do. Um, but my fascination from this came a lot from thinking about or looking at, yeah, these marketplace wars, uh, like we're, they're fighting over market share. And it really left a bad taste in my mouth as like you have a couple of different products competing on user experience and features and, you know, fees and revenue models. And then creator royalties are you know thrown in the mix there and the thing that really made me uncomfortable or upset is how it seemed like creator royalties were being used at, or like creators at large were being used as like a pawn in some sort of larger fight and a lot of the messaging i think throughout the way from you know folks like OpenSea 
were was super um, disingenuous, and I it was just very frustrating to see. But um, yeah, maybe uh, maybe it would be helpful to kind of know where would you like me to kind of like take this? Uh, yeah, but I, yeah. I, no, I, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. It's funny because like for for you know, I I can't really pose any particularly like technical questions, but I do like to assume that there's people. Who will listen to this who have like a pretty wide-ranging understanding of this stuff from as deep as your knowledge goes to sort of as not so much as mine but everyone's got kind of like you know but i guess there's like talking to yeah i mean that was like my my main question up front was just about like was it reasonable that myself and, and most artists and creators of all kinds sort of went into this thinking that that's what we were kind of signing up for and really that was actually never the truth it never had to be that way, but that was sort of an incentive to get people to buy into this. And that's not to say that there was someone like, you know, planning to rug like the whole community of, of people making things and one day pull all the royalties away. But why did it work that way for so long? And why is it sort of coming up against, you know, the friction that it is now? Is it because, I mean, it seems to me like Blur was like the big instigator of 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 starting to knock the the first domino down. And that's led to open seas reaction um and now lots of people sort of discussing like the only way to enforce this or like what art blocks is trying to do you know maybe like you know create their own marketplace and encourage people to buy to to trade only on there because they could enforce royalties but like at the end of the day you know if someone doesn't want to pay more than they have to then it sort of becomes this sort of moral you know sort of moral dilemma i suppose you know whether you pay the artist or not so um i guess you know yeah i guess like we, we could take this in a lot of different directions but like maybe the first one would be like what do you think is the next sort of like step of this like where where do we where do you see this being six months from now like any better solved is it gonna is, is there really no way to properly enforce this on like on a contract level i mean you can go you know sort of as deep and as wide ranging as you want with it but i'm curious like what's the next step because it feels like we're at this inflection point right now that sort of exploded just within the last month yeah um i think maybe the first place to just start here is to explain like how creators royalties have worked historically yeah that's um, a great i think that's a good call <laughs> like tell me what i've been thinking has been the way it works and then break yeah. it down from there so um i i think like one reason why we're in this situation is honestly creator royalties have never on a technical side given a whole lot of thought they um so i'll, I'll explain how they've worked historically so um OpenSea, which up until recently was the dominant nft marketplace um so just to like run this back like to like a year ago or maybe even a couple of years ago OpenSea for the past couple of years has supported creator royalties and the way that you set up creator royalties actually uh had nothing to do with a blockchain. Um, mm. you, the way you set your royalty on OpenSea is you would make a, an NFT project and then OpenSea would know that um, because you deployed the NFT project on chain that, you know, Chuck, you, your wallet controls this project. So then you could log into OpenSea and say, I want a royalty and the royalty should be up to 10%. And then when someone would buy something on OpenSea, OpenSea would take 10% of that and send that to wherever you tell it to. But that whole configuration step, you don't have to send a transaction. It's like, it's just a setting you set. And that's kind of really important um, to know because mm -hmm. that just means that, okay, OpenSea has this protocol, their, their marketplace protocol, and 
there's like a, a part where they can like put this royalty in, but it's not inherent to like the NFT contract that you might have deployed or anything like that. Now, to, to, to be clear, there is a uh, standard called, um, it's a technical standard called EIP 2981. It has existed for a couple of years. And essentially, it's a way of, uh, in your smart contract for your NFTs, uh, you know, it's a way of like expressing your royalty preference. So like on the blockchain, like a service like OpenSea could uh, query it and say, hey, uh, do you have a creator royalty? What is it? Where should we send uh, the royalties? Now, up until very recently, um, OpenSea, which was the dominant marketplace, didn't even support this on-chain royalty standard. It was really just you had to go to OpenSea and set it up. Um, and because um, the way that NFTs work, like this, an, uh, an NFT contract, like what it does that it's like, if you boiled it down to its essence, is it just is a way of assigning ownership of like an asset to a, a wallet address. Um, there's a couple of affordances to make marketplaces work, but there's nothing, the NFT contract also doesn't know anything about like uh, payment, like how much you paid to, to transfer. It just has like, a function you can call that says move this asset from one wallet to another wallet and like that's it so that is kind of key to understand is just like you have this system that's like not off chain and just part of like OpenSea's website that's for royalties and also the nft contracts um don't really know anything about royalties there is a way to say hey this is my creator royalty preference but that's something that end of day would have to be respected by whatever protocol is building on top of like okay. whatever protocol existed mm -hmm. that makes sense sure yeah i think so i think one of the questions then would be um and to kind of keep us here not sort of necessarily like moving on or anything but you know the that so i think a big thing is it seemed like OpenSea was just kind of it and that it'd be it, it was going to take something like blur to come in on this and, and do things the way that they've done it on such a sort of uh diabolical level that they you know like hearing people call it like this vampire attack that the way that they've used their own sort of you know um things against them in a way or like the sort of the loyalty button and just sort of like unlisting all your things all at once um but prior to that i mean it seemed like you know open really was kind of the main and only really gold standard for like a large marketplace and and so whatever they set or whatever they said in terms of you know honoring things that was it um do you does it seem disingenuous uh, like you kind of mentioned that before but like for them to have done that um knowing that it was only going to be as long as they decided that it would be that way um and then to change things up in a way that like i've seen artists and creators posting screenshots of their royalties like before and after the the change was made and it's like going from like someone was getting 0.4 before and all of a sudden it's like 0.05 for the same price thing and again it's sort of like this flip of hey i signed up for a but now i'm getting b instead so i mean is that is that a fair assessment like what do you feel like or or do you feel like that's just market dynamics open seas just kind of conducting business in a way that they have to to stay competitive or would they have been better off to like play a different game and try and like appease artists and keep them happy or, you know, or did they have to do this or, or yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. My take on my take on all this is um, so I think it's probably worth uh, like segmenting like 
you know, like what, what, what OpenSea did quote unquote from like up until like they started competing with Blur, like Blur only came out in, I think, November of uh, last year or came out in public in November of last year. So it's probably worth segmenting like what they did competing with Blur from before. And I think that my biggest criticism before they were competing with Blur was that they weren't using these on-chain standards because I think that that meant that that was really bad that you had all these creators going to the OpenSea website to set up royalties because it means like it's not very composable in the sense of blockchain. And OpenSea, in my opinion, should have used their dominant market position to push creators to um, like put more of the stuff on chain so that like that way more people can respect the royalties. But when I think about kind of like why I say or what I said, why, <laughs> excuse me, why I said earlier that um, I was a little bit frustrated with all this is because you could tell there was a moment where these marketplaces were competing and OpenSea, you know, Blur kind of made, Blur launched with this royalties optional approach, which in practice means no royalties. Mm -hmm. uh, OpenSea, when they started to see their market share get threatened, and this happened around the Art Gobblers launch, like weird, funnily enough, um, when they saw their market share get threatened, then OpenSea starts making posts, you know, like the CEO is a post like, proud to be a marketplace that, you know, respects royalties and respects creators. And they do these moves that I actually think are um, very hostile to the space where they encourage creators to block other marketplaces uh, and like, to like, you know, the, the, the short of it, 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 what I'm trying to get at here is I think it's one thing for OpenSea to have royalty set up in a certain way. I think the thing that bothered me was this communication that um, they really viewed that creator royalties were important to protect, but it, it was very cynical in, in my opinion, because they were only really doing that to compete with, uh, you know, someone they viewed as a threat. And I just didn't think that that was um, the right way to go about it because it, it, it to me, it was very unserious. Um, and I, I think that like, it just, again, very disingenuous because, you know, two months after they, you know, kind of had this whole campaign about how they want to protect creators, um, you know, they, 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 they they do the same thing that they're criticizing their competitors for. Um, the biggest thing that I think maybe like would be good to open up and we can talk more about royalties, but I've been thinking about this whole situation a lot in the past you know couple of weeks. And my, my biggest takeaway from this is I think that um, Blur is this NFT marketplace that the reason why Blur is so popular is not only because they're the first no royalty marketplace or something like that, or they're not the first no royalty marketplace. Right. Yeah. The reason why Blur is so popular is because Blur built a product that um, is really, really great for trading monkey JPEGs. And like, it's that is like a subset of NFT. Um, and those NFTs did have royalties. But even like Basie, uh, you know, the, the dominant monkey JPEG. They only have a 2.5% royalty, which I think a lot of creators usually opt for a higher percentage. And basically, yeah, it's very dominant. And my biggest takeaway from looking at all this is just, if you're building a product like OpenSea, I think that you kind of need to have a bit of a position of what your product is good for. Because I mm -hmm. think that if you're building a platform for monkey JPEGs, Charging 10% on every trade actually doesn't make a whole lot of sense because that, you know, if you want the liquid monkey JPEG market, like that's just not going to work on a practical level. But if you're building a product for, you know, artists building, you know, work that have like that, 
that are a lot different in terms of like, you know, the value life cycle or even just like what the artist hopes to accomplish with the work, then I think that you're going to end up with a very different set of constraints. And so you, you mentioned Arplox making their own marketplace. That's a great example of this where I think that you're going to have a collector base that um, wants to like respect artists and things like that. But that's going to be not a very overlapping group of the people who want to speculate and day trade on right. the JPEGs. And of course, like the, the center of the Venn diagram of all of this is that speculation is inherent to Web3 and assets. And that's why it gets a little blurry uh, or something like that. <laughs> but uh, I think that OpenSea kind of had this really confusing messaging because they wanted to kind of be everything to everyone and charge a 250 basis point fee while doing it. Because it's like, okay, we want to be the monkey trading venue. We also want to be the trading venue for like every other artist. And I think by Blur just saying we, we only care about trading the monkey JPEGs, like that's it. They kind of outcompeted them because their like whole model from the product to the fees they charge to the making the royalties optional was kind of built for that reality. Mm-hmm. But when I think about where NFTs are going to go, I, I think right now, NFTs are very expensive uh, just across the board. Like they're they're basically unattainable for most people. Even to when make- you say, can you be more specific when you say that? Um, just because the last thing you said was sort of the, uh, I think about this a lot. I mean, like there's the art happening, and then there's the speculative monkey JPEGs, and they're happening sort of all under one roof, which is is kind of in itself disingenuous to the very concept of an NFT at all, because you're sort of now, I, I, I use this, I, I've thought of this, like, I, I got to tweet this, but I always think of it as just like someone set of uh, like an antique, you know, roadshow and a flea market and a baseball card and a comic book and a collectible show up in the Guggenheim. And all the patrons of all of these things are walking around together. Or maybe you take a, a high, you know a, a amazing art gallery and drop it right in the middle of you know a flea market or whatever. But all of a sudden you got all these wallets walking around and they're kind of looking at what they're most interested in naturally. But then the other things catch their eye or they realize oh the money's over here right now. And so we've mixed up all these different buyers and all these different people who are sort of seeing uh, you know a, a, you know a board ape and a fidenza. Are they're suddenly like oh these are both art and these are both. Uh, you know, I have it's just it's it's just like ramming these sort of completely different things together under this one big jumbled mess of 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 some sort of digital collectible versus sort of uh, separating things out into these different different buckets as as artwork as you know a speculative uh, PFP project, but everything is being treated all sort of homogenized in a in in one big sort of like weird soup of, of like digital asset, and so yeah, I guess. That's maybe does w- would you say that like uh because I've seen a lot of like you know criticism of blurs and even OpenSea just recently uh launching a grid view and a non-grid view, more of a table view rather, where the art is is so secondary to the spreadsheet essentially. It's just sort of like a, a tiny like mini thumbnail with line items. And now you are truly just trading like it's just now it's like a shitcoin marketplace really and there just happens to be like it's just look at number only not the other thing so i guess that's that's my that was kind of my like one thing i wanted to say when you say nfts are expensive um do you think that's true for both sides of that coin like the dumb speculative stuff and then like the the art and is it okay for one to be more expensive than the other or do you see like you know do you delineate between the two 
Yeah. So when I say expensive, I just mean the whole experience is, is expensive. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. every single part just of participating it. Like, at all. Yeah, yeah. Participating is really expensive. Yeah. And yeah. That, uh, that prohibits like a lot of the people who can enter the, mm. the market. You know, you probably, if you were onboarding an artist to Ethereum right now, you probably want to send them like a couple hundred dollars worth of ETH just to get started. And like for a lot of people, that's prohibitive. Um, anyway, the, the point I was just making is, you know, I think Blur makes sense. The, the blur is probably not going away, but their product makes a lot of sense in this world where you have these expensive assets to be speculated on. Um, and I'm not just, of course, I'm not saying that like uh, fine art or something is worth more or less. That's not the point I'm making. But the point I'm making is that, you know, in a world where, you know, we're, we're increasingly on like layer two chains and we're doing things like, you know, artists can kind of build their own marketplaces. I think that like, things become cheaper and then you can like assign more like value. And like, we're not so worried about like uh, royalties or things like that. Not because royalties aren't important. I'm saying they're actually very important, but mm. it's like, you made a really great point by the way, by just saying like, you have like baseball cards and fine art and all of the, and like, you know, bubblegum wrappers <laughs> all in one place. Yeah. I think like even the way you experience like fine art and baseball cards and bubblegum wrappers are all totally different. And like, you might laugh at someone like say, Hey, give me a royalty for this thing. But of course you'd be like, yeah, I mean, I'll pay the royalty for the fine art or something. And what I'm trying to say is, is more like blur. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a spreadsheet trading experience. And I think there's a part of the market that really wants it. It's worth remembering that um, there's been some analyses about this kind of shift in market share. You see these huge numbers, like, you know, 50% of market share loss or something like that. That's being driven by something like five or 600 traders, or I think under a thousand traders, because that's where most of the monkey trading speculative volume is coming from. Like it's actually a pretty small N of people. Right. Yeah. yeah. As we get more people in Web3 and like more artists and more creative people, like that's not going to be an appealing scene to them because that's just like, that's just capital. That's just draining out the, like the value out of it. And Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a better model. But I do believe that there will be marketplaces that will emerge and like places for art that like aren't that. And it's kind of the nice thing is so, of course, this is like a huge bummer, you know, especially because a lot of creators probably feel like they're misled in this moment. But the fact that OpenSea no longer controls 80% of the NFT marketplace in my mind is actually really refreshing because it means now there's a lot more space to build like interesting new ideas that aren't necessarily blur either. And I think that is really cool because instead of just saying, okay, we're going to have this one platform be the place for everything. I think now it's like more of a question of, okay, well, like what can we build that like actually makes a useful thing for our community and the people who align with our values? Like to the art blocks point, I don't know if art blocks could have even like made a successful marketplace. I mean, it remains to be seen if it's successful, but I think a lot of people post uh, or excuse me before this open sea blur thing might have even wondered if that would be possible and now it's like that might be a viable thing and i think that's really interesting so okay so then the main the, the big question i think that i've seen a lot of people asking and this kind of ties into let's say art blocks creates their own secondary marketplace for you to you know buy and sell art blocks on um that's still an option like if somebody owns an art blocks uh piece you know, and they're not concerned for their own reputation or they own it anonymously, there's nothing keeping them from just <laughs> being like, well, that's nice. I mean, I'm, that's nice that you guys did that. But like, I don't really, I didn't get into this for the art. I got into this for the, you know, making money and, and I'm going to, I don't really care about the. <laughs> and there are certainly plenty of, of people like that. And that's, 
you know, far be it for me to to judge them. I mean, I, I don't know what people's motives um, are. I mean, certainly I would prefer uh, someone actually just bought uh, one of my works on OpenSea the other day on secondary. And the first thing they did was send me a DM and ask me my wallet address and they paid me the royalty. And I really appreciated that. Uh, that's not sustainable, nor is it scalable for like, you know, it's just not, it's not going to be the case. Like most of the time, especially when you move away from sort of smaller, um, sort of bespoke artist projects, like the project that I'm talking about was a collection of 99 pieces. Like there's 62 holders of that collection of mine. Um, that's pretty easy. Like I, I, I know almost everyone who owns one of those pieces, but if you're a holder of the, you know, a 10,000 you know, piece collection, you're not going to like manually DM the whoever started that and like send them their, their, their little bag. So, um, I guess, you know, I guess this is kind of like a twofold question here. What do you see as the implications for, I guess all these projects, but especially like the big ones who've probably been making their livelihood and like continuing their project, um, through, you know, trade volume, you know, and can't collect their royalties anymore. Like what's, what happens now for them? Like, what are their options? Um, and that's not like, oh, let's feel bad for them. But I mean, there's plenty of really good, earnest, you know, well done projects like that that are suddenly probably finding themselves in like a rough spot. And then I also obviously want to get to probably me not understanding everything, but I'd love to have you get into more of the contract level of like, why is this not enforceable? Why is it something that can't be or can it be? It's just not developed yet. I have no idea, but getting into the like, is there a way to bake in so that anytime an asset moves, money goes automatically to, you know, controlled wallet, like, you know, that, that minted the, you know, the original piece, but I guess to back up, yeah. What do you see as the implications here? Um, you know, for creators, big and small, um, beyond just like, okay, they, they can't make their money and what might their solutions be? Yeah. Um, I don't mean to come off as like glib or anything, Chuck, but yeah, it, the world has really changed. Unfortunately, I think there are a lot of creators like with their pockets hurting now. I don't mm-hmm. have an really amazing answer to. Sure. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's And the reason why also is you actually can still get royalties on Blur and OpenSea. You just have to block the remaining marketplaces that don't respect royalties according to their very arbitrary policy. But that's mm-hmm. simply not an option for people who have deployed a contract in the past yeah sure sure and like i I don't think that that's even a viable or scalable option i think that what that means is because like you know maybe if your artists were expecting this you know revenue stream and now it's like gone or or greatly lessened i think the the reality is that it means like artists will have to kind of view the way that they drop work much differently includes Mm -hmm. like you know, maybe you're going to charge higher prices. Maybe you're going to hold on to more of the collection. And like, again, this is all moving forward, future looking things. Right, and, right. Yeah, this isn't even like, yeah. yeah, this isn't even like, what can we do about what's happened? It's more like, this is more reactionary. What are we going to do for the next release? Because it seems like unless someone's an honorable person, like they did like my example, you're kind of just screwed. I mean, I'm, I don't, I can't, I don't understand like how else it could revert now. Right. I mean, it kind of seems like the toothpaste out of the tube on this and collections minted prior to you know artwork minted prior to what's happened is kind of yeah is what it is i I, have, I still have a couple more thoughts on it though in terms of like ways that we can like think about this even with the like long tail of art that's out there mm-hmm. one the way one useful thing i use for nfts and this can be any nft from like you know the monkey jpegs to like you know bespoke fine art which is nfts are really interesting to me because 
they're kind of like shelling points or like meeting points for community. And what that what I mean by that is like, you know, it's the token gated discord is interesting to me, not from a technology or even a discord standpoint, but it's interesting to me that like people want to like congregate around digital assets like that is really interesting to me. And so I think like more of the like the tools that let you do the token gated stuff are actually doing royalty enforcement. And I think that that's really interesting because what really needs to happen here, and this can happen if, if more volume moves to alternative marketplaces, is if the buy side, the liquidity side, like the collector side says, no, we want to pay the royalty, then it's less of the seller's decision. But again, that's imperfect. I think you were asking about, um, what was the second part of your question? Yeah. And then, well, this is like a whole, I mean, I almost feel like this could take up like the rest of our time, but I... I think I, I've seen a lot of people questioning um, and asking just sort of out of like, I guess I'm a, I'm like the perfect person to ask this question because I don't have a deep understanding of how smart contracts work. So sort of coming from just sort of, an, you know, just like a sort of just see me as just another artist who got into NFTs and I, I didn't really understand like the deeper technical level. Um, you know, is it, are we saying that it is, is it technically impossible for, um, and let's just call it like going forward, not for prior. Let's let's call like everything that's been minted up until this point a moot point. And going forward, is it possible to mint something and 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 uh, you know have a, a contract be a certain way where if that token is sold in the future, that it every time the the smart contract. And again, this is me asking because I in my head I was like smart contract means and like it, it it's like software. It's essentially like read. It's it's being told to do something. So my address mints this thing and now there's a new owner and every time it changes hands, the contract has my address in mind. And if it moves, there's something baked in that says this original address must get this regardless of where it's sold. That's just part of it. Or is that again, like I, I might just need to be sort of um, explained how <laughs> how this all works from like the, the ground up. Um, but I, I will say, I think I'm speaking for probably like most everyday artists who got into this and thought that that's how it was going to be. And I think uh, are trying to understand if that's a possibility from a technical level or if the way that things uh, operate on the blockchain, it's simply that's not, yeah, it, it does require a, a more of an honorable handshake um, and it's not actually enforceable. Yeah. Um, so first of all, the answer to any sort of question, like, is it possible to write a smart contract that does X is usually the answer is yes, because they're computer programs. The, the thing about, um, you know, in terms of like the, the practicality of getting any of this stuff off the ground is you need a bit of community consensus because uh, NFTs, you know, it's like an ecosystem. You have marketplaces, you have wallets, you have all sorts of things that like all need to kind of collaborate. So even as an artist, unfortunately, it's difficult to unilaterally say, okay, this is how my contract works because you kind of need to build an interoperable way. Right. What I will say is that like, I'm sure people are thinking about solutions here. And I've, I've seen a couple of sketches of, you know, artists, you know, coming with ideas on how to enforce different things. The, the You kind of need to make a trade-off between like um, control and like enforcement. And so one thing that's really cool about NFTs that I, I think is amazing is you, the artist, can deploy an NFT contract. And then once those works are in the world, you actually like you can't rug the people who own the tokens like they, they own it. And it's like super decentralized and you can't change that. Now, 
you could write an NFT contract where you could rug them, right? But then people would probably criticize you for that. Like, what is mm-hmm. what do you, you can just take my token away from me? Sure, uh, sure. Like people have made similar arguments around like, you know, if something gets hacked, should the artist have a function that like lets them like change who owns it? And like, but the trade-off here, and I'm not sure where exactly to draw the line, but this is kind of where the debate is right now is like, okay, if you add functions that enforce royalties um, and, and like payment, does that make it less of an asset that the 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 owner of the token owns? And I can tr- try to sure. explain why too, like to get painted, like, the the most common like problem you run into like if you were to like add a tax to every time something tax sounds like i'm anti-royalty if you you had a fee to every time a token moves that's the royalty sure oh like what do you do if like someone needs to move an nft from like their hot wallet to their cold wallet or like what do you do and like of course okay you can say okay well maybe we have a way of doing that but then how do you distinguish someone like sending a token from like you know um like, well, check, I could just agree over the counter to, to, to buy this asset for you for one ETH and we can right. like swap that way. Um, again, I'm not actually claiming it's impossible. What I'm just trying to say is like the practicality of like even just saying, okay, we're going to let people move stuff between wallets freely. Okay, well, like, how do you do that without control? Sure. The way I see that actually makes the most sense, but is like the like kind of most out there is like you make an NFT where you don't implement the parts of the NFT standard that allow marketplaces to build on top of you really. And, or you like, if you have those parts, you just limit it to marketplaces that pay royalties and you have more or less a marketplace inside the contract. And then that's mm-hmm. the only thing that can be bought and sold. Um, that's one way to do it. And if enough people did that, you could still build a version like OpenSea sure. but under the hood. It would be using the marketplace inside of the contract. How, how do you, how do you see this? Would that, do you think something like that would require, um, like a let's just say like some you know really big name some big really like big blue, quote unquote blue chip artist sort of leading the way and doing that and someone who's desirable enough where it's like okay we're seeing this in action and and being proved out like it would probably take someone kind of being making themselves the example and the guinea pig in the, a scenario like that and kind of creating their own inert sort of like internal marketplace to to sort of like try that out and like right i mean it yeah, seems like yeah. for people to catch on and, and and get hip to the idea of, of like the concept like that yeah so here's the other thing too it's like i i totally agree it would take something like that um i think actually what i'm describing probably won't happen because marketplace protocols are really complicated and it doesn't necessarily make sense to shove that in with like your artist nft contract I think the reality that will happen more is like maybe artists will be very selective of where their works can be sold. I think that's mm-hmm. the simplest way to do it where you actually can just, instead of banning the non-royalty marketplaces, maybe your contract just has a list of where it can be sold. Now, as like kind of a technical person, I don't love all of these solutions because it means that like it's harder to build products on top of NFTs because like you need like like artist buy-in and they become a lot more permissioned right, assets yeah. rather than permissionless assets. But I can see why artists don't want to do it. And I think this year we're going to start seeing more of that from mm-hmm. big artists that you probably know. I, I This is no inside knowledge. I'm just, I think that that's just kind of inevitable. You're going to see yeah. people more experimentation here. And I definitely don't blame them if they're saying, yeah, like we're going to write the code such that this can only be traded on marketplaces that respect a royalty. But even in that situation, the point I was just trying to make is, it's very hard to like kind of enable someone to just be able to send an asset to someone or like move it between their other wallets 
and like, you know, enforce royalties, but sure. it's not impossible. It's just the point is how many restrictions and caveats do you want to put inside of your smart contract? And this is a question open for debate. At what point when you do that, does that become, does that make it like not an NFT or like not the same thing as one? And I, I don't know the right answer here. It's just, a, it's a tough debate and tough question. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I mean, you must see so many different types of, like, I mean, when we haven't even, I haven't even really like asked you about more about context or, or mint.fun uh, yet. Um, but I mean, I think like your depth of knowledge and like, just, I, I get this, you, you strike me as someone who does a lot of observing and just like listening and watching and sort of like seeing what's happening. And, um, you know, like I, I know the, uh, and we haven't, <laughs> you know, probably its own whole separate thing, you know, whole, entirely separate interview, but, you know, just talking about like the inner workings of, of, uh, David Rodnick's project that you worked on, you know, on, on tombs and everything and, and like all the different, um, technicalities and, and sort of insane <laughs> mechanics that, uh, seem involved, uh, in that. But, um, yeah, it's interesting because I, I, you, you strike me as someone who's like artist in mind and being very reasonable and, and sort of taking into account, um what someone like myself would have thought but then like considering like the technical side of it and i i understand i hadn't thought about some of these things but like you said how would what if i just wanted to move my nft from one wallet to another or some people like thread them through like a ton of wallets for whatever reason and and like you know they end up in some vault somewhere and like how do you sort of how do you know that that wasn't just like an OTC deal and somebody paid you on the side and you just sent it to them? Like that, that's why we don't have names attached to these. They're just anonymous wallets. So when you start bringing things up like that, like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. But I never had to think about that when I first like minted my first NFT and thought, oh, I'll be collecting royalties on this until the day I die. Like I just didn't, no one really explained all that. So I think um, just even these basic primers are good, but you can certainly, it sounds like you're sort of sympathetic to like all the people and artists, especially who were none the wiser when they began this journey uh, with this stuff. And I guess now it's just about sort of trying to decide whether you want to be market driven and respond to, you know, kind of OpenSea's response to blur and decide we have to keep stay in the running or or build an artist centric, creator centric product that, you know, really honors what you know, we all kind of thought we were signing up for with this. But again, I guess that's sort of at the behest of like the creators of these different platforms and the people who have the knowledge enough to build these, you know, get into the technical side of this stuff. Um, I, and, I also just want to give a huge shout out to um, Reservoir. Uh, not so many people have heard of Reservoir, but what I'm Reservoir is, they're, um, they're a protocol where um, you basically can plug in their code and their like interfaces into your website. Mm -hmm. And easily spin up a marketplace um they and they give like creators all the tools to do stuff like only royalty uh like, like you, you must respect the royalty another really cool thing you can do with reservoir is you could build like um you could build a marketplace that aggregates like listings for say your nfts everywhere mm -hmm. and let's say the nft was listed on blur well you could have a page on your site where someone could buy it and it doesn't matter if it was respecting a royalty when they listed it you'll still get the royalty. Like it'll like change the price or make it, make oh, it work okay. that you'll get a royalty. And I just want to say like reservoir is like, I think they're going to power a lot of the innovation in this space because like they're, they make it so easy to build these tools and reservoir is kind of a more technical developer company. But I, what I'm saying is there, there are real like infrastructure companies like that have all of these things in mind. And I, I I'm kind of excited to see like, I think that people are working on this problem. And I do think that 
if you can imagine a world where people will like like what I'm trying to say is I think we have to be able to imagine a better solution than like this like duopoly of blur or open sea. Like there has mm-hmm. to be a better yeah. way. And I'm actually very excited about that. Like I said, I think that it's kind of been blown wide open as a field. And mm-hmm. I, I see I see things shifting. And I I mean I'm I'm optimistic just because I'm optimistic in general, but I, I don't necessarily think that like we're going to get what we want out of these like two platforms. And I think we have sure. to build one. Yeah. It's funny. It is just like the same like political idea of like the this two party system where it's like, these are your two choices. And like, you can go one of these other routes, but like, you know, it ain't going to win. Like <laughs> you could try. It's like a nice sort of like vote, but you know, but it's like, well, I, I mean, that's like the, the flaw of like our, you know, broken political system, but that's not really like, you know, the same here. Like there is opportunity to change and build. And it does seem like there's enough people who want you know, to see more, you know, alternatives and there's enough artists involved, uh, you know, with these things to try and like, you know, advocate for, uh, you know, better solutions. Um, so I'm glad to hear that. I mean, like, it sounds like overall you're optimistic, although we're certainly like at this point right now where there's a lot of confusion and sort of misunderstanding and frustration at the way things uh, are unfolding. Um, and certainly people are like, you know, getting hurt by it. You know, I think the people who have or had become used to expecting a certain amount, you know, coming in from royalties and suddenly are not seeing that um, have to shift, you know, and obviously they thought one thing and I don't know. I, I don't know if there's any like one party liable for that or if OpenSea is sort of, you know, like just changing, you know, changing policy on that, like made people sort of, I don't know. I'm not really sure if there's like any one place to put the blame, but at the same time, I mean, this must hurt um, OpenSea as well, right? I mean, they're kind of waiving their fee and a lot of, you know, revenue for them. So do you think that there's further change in store for for OpenSea um, and how they're going to have to do business? Yeah, I mean, I think that they they are in the situation where they need to compete. I I don't have a great insight as to what they're going to do next. Um, I think that a lot of their reactions today have been like very rushed, but I, I think now they're probably in a place where they're going to be a bit more measured. I think the best thing that I would kind of want to articulate is as someone who kind of knew royalties work this way for like the past couple of years, I always thought uh, it was a weakness of open seat and not figure out a better solution here. Mm. And like, I, I think that it, it, it it's, I think that they just w- had no incentive to uh, figure out a better solution because they sure. felt that they were so dominant. But in my mind, it was always a weakness. And I thought that before this is well before Blur. I thought I, I told people like, if you want to compete with OpenSea, it's not even going to be on fees and royalties. You just have to build a better product. And Blur built a better product for the Monkey mm-hmm. Jigs, <laughs> and yeah. like, which is where like the volume is, right? I mean, that's you know, that, yeah, yeah. And, but it was just such a, a chink in their armor. And I, um, like, I think that it would be, I, what I'm trying to get at is I hope that w- like, as like a community or like as a space, this just means like, okay, we have this like problem of like royalties, not re- really being enforceable. They're like, in reality, they're very light suggestions that can be completely ignored. You know, sure. why don't we use this moment to like build something differently? And I, mm. I think there's a lot of different angles you could take the solution. Um, but I also think that like this is something that, you know, I, I think we'll be investing a lot more because now it's it's widely known as a weakness rather than like, you know, okay, well, as long as OpenSea is dominant, we have this thing, you know, sure. which is not really a good place to be either for decentralization reasons. You know? Yeah. 
Huh. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, I think like I there's just I think I've I know like the majority of the people I follow being artists, it seems like there's been mostly confusion. I would say that's been like the majority um consensus it's from artists. Confusion, uh by the way, uh, OpenSea and Blur's messaging because have been deliberately confusing and very complicated and yeah. hard to like, yeah, there's. I, I think that's on on purpose. Is what I'm mm, trying. Yeah, yeah there, it's very obtuse. Like it's it's sort of like a very like under- voice. Like that's yeah, a- well, and it's very like well, you wouldn't understand. Like that's kind of like the <laughs> and so like you you know and kind of kind of like a, a it's very like a iTunes service agreement. Like there was all this stuff there, but like you didn't really you know you were never going to really get like, it anyways. <laughs> it's just when you kind of read their tweet, the general tone is like it's like. Due to market conditions, we've done mm. these things. We've removed our fee. We're thinking about creators, and yeah. royalties are optional. <laughs> right, right, right. And I think yeah. again, again, like I just, I, I, I know um, that the the beating of the drum from artists over the last you know month here has been just sort of like if that's not if royalties aren't in place, like what are we? And it's, I mean, it's probably a pretty small percentage of people who really need to be like super worried about royalties, anyways, in terms of like real money like livelihood money um but that doesn't really matter i mean because that's a very relative thing like if if it if if a single secondary sale you know happens that doesn't really matter you know how much money we're talking like that's meaningful to the person who did it especially you you know enough about art too it's like an artist can be you know completely ignored and then 20 years later like the work's very valuable you know yeah yeah absolutely well and there's i mean that's that's kind of another wild point is like how many projects out there are just floating around for like dirt cheap right now, you know, like happens all the time or some undiscovered artist who's going to pop. And that happens basically like a couple times a month, it seems like. And, uh, you know, who are going to be, I don't know, or who missed the boat or missed their chance in a way to like collect on that. And all of a sudden you're basically a digital version of the trad art market, which is, you know, like a, I was just reading this story in the New York Times yesterday about like catch a rising star, uh, you know, at the at the auction house. And it was about um, basically like just these absurd amounts of money, you know, these painters and these artists whose work went for hundreds of thousands of dollars overestimate and like someone buying something from a gallery for four grand and selling it for, you know, one and a half million later. And of course, like the artist is completely cut out of that. And at the end of the day, I think like so many of us sign on to do this, uh, you know, thinking that this was like this new paradigm. So, yeah, we do catch ourselves at this very important moment. And they're certainly going to hope, I mean, uh, hopefully uh, be some sort of like heroes to come out of this moment who find really clever and creative and interesting ways to um, not circumvent the technology, but to do things that play nice with it and uh, allow it to be trustless and, and, um, you know, decentralized while also sort of staying true to sort of, I think what a, a lot of artists and, and creators were hoping that they were getting by, by, um, you know, working in this, in this world. Yeah. Um, and the creativity in my mind is not like, I could probably sketch out like four different ways we can enforce royalties. Like I, I that's not like the technical thing. The creativity in my mind is actually just like building consensus and getting everyone on board because it, it's a whole ecosystem. No one can just make a unilateral decision. And like, yeah. that's, that is where a lot of the creativity comes. It's like from the messaging and things like that. That's why actually why I'm encouraged with reservoir because they kind of work with everyone mm-hmm. uh, directly they work with OpenSea. Like you can, it, when you list something on reservoir, it actually appears on OpenSea in some cases okay. it's like that. And so they work with like all these people and they, they really care. I'm not saying reservoir will be the only company, but 
I think we need industry-wide solutions. Uh, and so it, it's it's less of the technical thing and more of how can you build consensus? That's a real, mm-hmm. like, that's the social technology uh, side of it. Sure, yeah. Um, well, so on a less uh, sort of, I don't know, like messy subject, um, and I know we got to wrap here in, in a few minutes, but can you talk a little bit about what you're working on right now uh, outside of this, you know, topic being something that you're thinking a lot about, but, um, you know, and I know this was our main goal to talk about this stuff, but just like, what's the, you know, what are you guys up to with with context right now, um, as well as Mint.Fun? Can you kind of like share a little bit about both of those, uh, you know, projects and, in, in you know, over the next couple of minutes, I guess. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, this is the bag pump segment of the podcast. No, go for it. <laughs> Stage is yours. <laughs> um, yeah. So we've been, so context is the company, uh, that I lead. Um, we're pretty small, we're like four ish people right now. Um, we spend most of our time actually building mint.fun. That's been our main priority for the past, like almost a year, I guess like nine months or so. Um, essentially, uh, so to give your audience a background, if they don't know, um, I, uh, with my co along with my co-founder and team, we came up with this product called context. It's a, it's a social feed where you can watch wallets and see what they're doing uh, like on chain. And so all the activity in the feed are things people do on chain. And we were building this product and we were thinking about like ways we could get more people like using it or like how to make the product like a bit more successful. And we realized that the thing that we liked the most from context was seeing what new NFTs people were minting and, and things like that. Like what is kind of the pulse of the moment of web three? Right, right. What we did was we built this product that used a lot of the same technology we built at Context or for the Context product called Mint.Fun. Um, what Mint.Fun is, is it's kind of like, uh, it's a grab bag of like what's happening right now in Web3. Um, so it can be like, you know, Pepe Frogs. It can be like, you know, someone, an artist dropping like really beautiful art. It can be like right now, like the Coinbase, uh, like layer two, the base layer two is like, they have a commemorative NFT on Zora that uh, is like, you know, I think 400,000 or so have been minted. The idea is you go to mint.fun and you can see what's popular in Ethereum. And the thing that we did that was novel when we launched it uh, last June is we actually figure out how every NFT contract, like sells nfts there's no standard on how to sell like or mint a new nft and we we let you do that directly from our site so we take smart contracts and actually generate user interfaces for them without even having the source code um it's really fun to build and um like a non-trivial amount of all the new nfts on ethereum every day are minted from mint.fun uh Mm -hmm. yesterday uh this week i guess like the beginning of march we launched um new creator tools to let people customize and drop NFTs. So if like, if you've written like a smart contract and you don't want to build a, a website, um, now we have new tools where you can just like go in there. Uh, we also have go in there and customize and make it look a little bit more y- your own style. Um, we also like let people do allow list mints uh, with like our other tools called Lanyard. I think it's a bit more technical than what I should get into right now. But the idea that we want to do is we want to take the open world of Web3 and build like interfaces that make it easier to use and more useful mm-hmm. for people. Cool. Um, and that's what we do at Mint.Fun um, or at Context building Mint.Fun. And I actually, I'm really excited for the next couple of months because 
I can't talk about it right now, but we have a couple of new features that I think will hopefully set us apart uh, from from the crowd here. So, yeah. All right. I'd, I'd push you to uh, drop like more in- info here, but I don't know when this is going to come out. So I'll just leave it. <laughs> I'll leave you alone. I'll let you share what whatever you're comfortable. Yeah, it's awesome. I remember when you first uh, I was on context, like pretty much right when you guys put it out. And I remember just really like following a handful of wallets and um, just realized like it, it immediately felt like it filled uh, a void. And it felt like, yeah, I feel like that's kind of what's exciting right now is there's so many, you know, opportunities to, to it's fun to watch the people who are building the things that service needs that are just unmet because it's all so new. And we're sort of watching what people want in real time. Um, and I remember when it first came out and then same with mint.fun, um, you just kind of realized that like, Oh, this makes so much sense. Um, and then all, isn't there, uh, I haven't used it yet, but isn't there somewhere is it on mint.fun that is just like, here's like some, like a list of free mints. And if you wanted to just like, basically if you were like, I got, you know, 0.2 ETH to just spend on gas right now, you could just go, go crazy and <laughs> go through the yeah, list of yeah. like, free stuff happening. No, I think that's really cool though, because it's sort of like home bases, all these disparate things that are minting like from all over the place. That's sort of hard to hard to find otherwise. Yeah, I, I mean, I yeah, we have the free mints uh, like tab on the homepage of mint.fun. Also, mint.fun is the URL. You can type that into a web browser. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's it's been really fun for us to build like, you know, Web3 is permissionless and you can get really creative of like the UI and things you can build with it. And so we're kind of just, we, we love tinkering with that and ultimately making something that people want to use. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 what, what I work on. And then, yeah, with David Rudnick, um, I also have helped out with some of the smart contracts for the Tomb series. Um, we're going to have, it's been, uh, we've been kind of behind the scenes building that, but we're going to have more to share on that. Um, cool. Yeah, I can't wait. You know what? I'll have to get you back on with, with him uh, when, when there's more to share because I'd love to to deeper dive into that project as as much as my small brain can wrap around <laughs> i've been almost like more stressed out about like when i read about it, i'm like oh my gosh this is all there's all so much here like trying to to keep track of it all but uh, it's a sort of like equal parts like stressed just thinking about how much work has to go into it and admiring <laughs> the the commitment um to just the scope of the project is just really fascinating so well i'll let you go i know you got to run um i appreciate you spending um well over an hour with us talking and i think this is all really interesting we really yuri really was felt strongly when we were talking about this like we really need like a almost like a, a sort of a step beyond a 101 but like a good place to just kind of hear like a have someone explain and give an understanding to like what's prevented you know things from working the way that artists thought they would work with royalties and i've i've learned more and understand more uh than i did when we started uh so that was the goal and i really appreciate you uh explaining it in in um technical but still layman's terms because it's really helpful to um be talked to in like a more compassionate sort of like sort of like understanding way about this stuff that people can really understand and i think that's what's really needed right now um with all this so um yeah really appreciate your time and uh hope uh you got some any interesting plans for the rest of the week uh, any good meals on the horizon <laughs> uh nothing like comes top of mind but uh hopefully soon um thanks for having me on your show chuck yeah of course um, you have a good rest of your day and yeah thank you yeah man, my pleasure talk soon thanks Take so care. much have a great day bye
presented on Zora. Zora. Zora.